Man, I'm glad you're here. Um, if I don't know you, my name's Troy. Um, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Safe Haven. Um, if you're a guest, we're glad you're here. Welcome home. This, there's a place for you here at Safe Haven. Um, and we journey through books of the Bible. We're in Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 34 in our ongoing journey uh, through the book of Exodus. We've only got two more weeks in the book of Exodus, and we're done, church. That's it. We've made it all the way through. And so... Um, it's been a great book, it's been a fabulous book, and may the Lord be gracious to us once again today. But maybe to kick off our time, in the 1980s, there really was a massive shift in history in the 80s. Now I know a lot of you guys uh, were not even a thought in your parents' brains in the 80s, um, and many of us did grow up in the 80s, uh, we are the cool kids, we are the cool kids. Um, but in the 80s, there really was this massive shift of hit in history, a, a monumental shift in history. And that shift was the beginning of chat rooms. That happened in the 80s, and, and as you guys all know, which exploded, chat rooms exploded in the 90s with AOL, uh, to where we all had the buzzes in our ears, the and the hope that when it opened up, it would say to us, you've... You got mail, yeah. See, all you youngins, y'all don't know what that is. You just got the little bubble. Boop. We had, it told us, you've got mail. Uh, we all hope for that. It really was this monumental shift as digital interconnectedness, if you will, kind of erupted on the scene, and that would change and eventually become what we know today as social media. But I say all that to say this, in the early days, it was a little bit different than we have now. In the early days, it was bare words. Um, chat rooms had no tone, no tempo. As a matter of fact, you hid behind a pseudo name. Like now, there's a name and a picture, but in the early chat room days, you, you had a pseudo name. Uh, mine, I still remember it, was O to be in Old Blue. Um, it was a boat that we had. It had holes in it, but I loved to be in it, and uh, so it was kind of that was my. My hidden name, O2B in Old Blue. All that to say, it was fairly distant. Relationships were fairly distant at the onset of digital interconnectedness. Now, why do I say all that? Because if we're not intentional and we're not specifically tuned in, our view of God can feel like the first days of chat rooms. It can feel very distant relationship with God. It can feel like... It's almost like these hidden names and we're kind of playing games and behind this veil and, and it's kind of connected but not really connected. Anybody ever felt that way in your relationship with God? Like, I feel like you're there and I don't really know if you're there, but maybe you're there, you're kind of there. I'm Troy, you're God, and we don't really know that much about each other. Kind of veiled almost. If we're not careful, our relationship with God can, can feel mysterious and I'm a little bit like those first days, but if God be gracious to us today, through this text, He'll show us and He wants us to see that His relationship is way different than that. That you don't have to have that type relationship with God if that's what your view of a relationship with God looks like. It's, it's massively different. Um, He's a close God. He's a personal God. He's a, he's a gracious God. And we can know Him way more than an internet chat room. And our connection point 
is, is not even prayer. So you may be going, okay, if he is that personal, if he is that real, how do you connect to him? And then our bible minds would go, oh, well, I pray, and that's how I connect to him. It's different than that. It's, it's more than prayer. I think if we'll catch this today, this is going to be a loaded phrase, and then we'll jump in. If we'll catch this, his gift of mercy is the key to us that unlocks his personal glory. Just hang on to that, and hopefully we'll kind of flesh that out a little bit more. All right, you ready? Let's give a little bit of a recap. Recap of where we've been in the journey. God has, number one, saved the people. He's made them His own. Made a whole nation, a brand new nation. Not America, the nation of Israel. He made these people. He rescued them, called them out of slavery and said, You're my people. Here's my laws. Here's how we talk. Here's how we walk. All these things. And so in response to the God of the universe taking them out and kept keeping them His own, what did they do? They made a golden calf, right? We're going to show you our love for you by making a golden calf. And they worshiped that golden calf. Um, God then showed up in wrath. Then many of them did repent. And then number two, number two, God said, okay, here's the deal. You are my people and you'll still get my promise. You will definitely get my promise, but you won't have my presence anymore. Okay? You're going to get my promise, but not my presence. I'm not going with you um, because my holiness will consume you as a stiff-necked people. It'll consume you. And so, out of love for you and respect for injustice and my holiness, we'll keep apart. So he gave them that. Then Moses said this, well, hold up. If that's the case, I ain't going. God, if you're not going to lead us, I ain't going. Um, And the people knew that salvation was not possible unless God was near. They knew that. Even though they had just thrown a calf-worshipping party, they knew that if God's presence wasn't there, that all things would consume them, right? So, yes, God definitely gives us good morals, and He gives us joy, and He gives us blessings, and He gives us all these things, but all those things are worthless if He's not near. All of that's worthless if He's not near and dear, okay? So they knew this. We know this. We struggle with the absence of human relationships, don't we? In human relationships, if we don't have those, life seems to struggle a little bit. Well, without a divine relationship, life itself just withers away. It's not that we just struggle. There is no life. And so Moses then cries out and he says, God, an online distant chat log will not work. i got to have you show me your glory. Reveal yourself. Show me who you are in a personal way. He he said this. And God could have responded like the movie, You can't handle my glory. He could have done that. And it would have been true, and it would have been just, and it would have been right. But what he did was this. He tucked him in a cave, and he said, Okay, Moses, I'm going to give you a glimpse of my glory. Not all, you're not going to see me fully face to face because if you did, life itself would just snuff out. You couldn't handle it. Boom, you would just obliterate if you saw all of my glory. Okay? So today, a lesson on the Lord's glory and his wonder and his majesty and his nearness through his mercy. Have you ever wondered what is his glory? What is that type of glory 
that if you saw it, would snuff you out. What is that? What does that even look like? If you've ever wondered that, we live by definitions, and definitions kind of let our life go along, right? What is an ornament? Well, this is an ornament. And if you come tonight, you will get the new ornament for 2022 right here, right? That celebrates our journey through Genesis and Exodus. You'll have it for free, right? So we live life by what is an ornament? Well, here's an ornament. You can touch it. You can taste it. Well, that's odd. Um, <laughs> you, can, you, can, you could taste it. You could lick it. Uh, you can see it. You can feel it. This, and, and so we define it, and that satisfies us, right? You can't do that with glory. Glory is so much different, it's so much other, it's so big, it's, it's almost unknowable. And so Moses is crying out for something that he can't even wrap his brain around, right? And so here's the deal. We struggle with wrapping our minds around glory because we try to attach glory, God's glory, and His nearness through glory as a personal attribute. And it just doesn't work that way. So if you've ever wondered what glory is, maybe let me help us kind of wrap our brains around this just a little bit. We'll get a little heady and then we'll dive in. This is necessary. Trust me, it's necessary. <clears throat> glory is not a distinct attribute of God. God is holy. That is a distinct attribute. God is mercy. That's a distinct attribute. God is righteous. That's a distinct attribute. God is creator. That's a distinct attribute. God is sovereign. That's a distinct attribute. God is glory is not a distinct attribute. It's different. So there is no definition. You can't define it as those type things. Rather, God's glory is the sum total of all his attributes, wrapped in one, all of them, okay? And Moses wants to see that. So he's asking God, God, I want you to be near and I want you to be distant. And the way that I think you'll be near is if I can see your glory. And God goes, oh, that's, <laughs> that's cute, Moses. But you have no idea what you're even asking for, right? So it's something like this. You've got to wrap your head around this before we dive into the text. You've got to get it, okay? God is supreme. God is creator. God is Lord. God is spirit. God is just. God is light. God is love. God is joy. God is peace. God is hope. God is simple. God is complex. God is independent. God is immutable. God is eternal. God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God is wisdom. God is truth. God is good. God is holy. God is jealous. God is righteous. God is perfection. God is beauty. God is providence. God is preservation. God is father. God is friend. God is all these things and all these things united together are a bunch of stars that when united beam his one attribute of glory. Does that make sense? Maybe we could say it a different way. His glory is the epicenter of all that those things shoot out of, right? So boom, I'm glory and there comes my creator, my sovereignty, my providence, my... Does that make more sense? you got to get that. Now when Moses goes, God, show me that. Show me your glory. Show me the epicenter. Show me the beam. Show me... God giggles and goes, oh, get in the rock. Hide. And I'll show you one piece of it. 
And that one piece will show you how much I love you. You got that? Does that make sense? We're hanging in there? That's so important. It's so good. Now, with that said, we're going to look at this text. Today, God is going to show Moses not what he wants to see, but what he needs to see. So if you've ever wondered, what is God's glory? Today, God speaks to you and says, this is the portion that you need to know. This is what you can handle. This is what you need. This is what is good. This is what's for you. Hang in there. And if God is gracious, He'll show us how good He is. So here we go. First, He says, I'm not a God of wrath. I'm the Lord of mercy. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to know. I'm the Lord of mercy, and I'll display my glory as I desire. And the way that I desire to display my glory is to show you my mercy. Okay, Here we go. Let's look at the text. So after all those things, the Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourselves two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the word that were on the first tablets with which you broke. Right off the bat, he screams mercy. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to the Mount Sinai. Present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain, and no one shall come up with you. And let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning, and he went up Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone. Watch this. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. He says, you want to know me? You want to see my glory? I'm going to tell you my name because my identity is wrapped up in my name and that's what you need to know. I'm going to proclaim to you my name. You want to know who Yahweh is? Then I will tell you who Yahweh is. Okay. And here's what he said. You want to see this? I'm going to tell you. What you need to know. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, If you want to know my glory, the Lord, the Lord is a God merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and their children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I've found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go into the midst of us. For we are, it is, a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. Pause there, church. Do you really want to know who God is? This is who Yahweh is. This is the Lord our God. And I think it's best, maybe if we take it backwards. If you really want to know God's glory, just let these words wash you this morning. Here's what he said. Here's who I am. I'm God backwards who's holy. You need to know that. 
I by no means clear the unrepentant guilty person because I'm holy. So in unrepentance, I can't clear that. You stand guilty. You're unrepentant. In other words, all men and women know who I am, as Romans 1 says. And some choose to suppress that truth in unrighteousness. All people know that I'm holy. And so I am holy. So call it a generational curse if you want. Y'all can debate those things all day long in your small groups. Or just call it a habitual sin. But you need to know this about me. It is an offense when you take for granted my righteous standard. What I say to do, what I say don't do, it's an offense. You need to know that. I'm, I'm holy. I don't kind of wink and nod. I'm holy. And I demand the pursuit of holiness. And you don't just fall into holiness. You pursue it. You need to know that. And you can break that cycle. If you're in this room... And maybe there's just been a cycle of unrepentance from generation to generation in your family lineage. You can break that today. You can be the one that stands in the gap and says, I'll break that cycle. I'll stand for God's holiness. You can be near to me by standing for my holiness. You can change what your forefathers did years ago today. You didn't know that. This is who I am. It looks like this. What does that look like, Troy? It's just this. One person in the family deciding today, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord today. That's what it looks like. You need to know this about me. And for those of you who do that, and those of you who follow me, here's what you need to know about who I am. And this is amazingly and stunningly merciful. This is the part of God's glory that Moses got to see. This is it, right here. This is the key. This is the big reveal. Backwards. I forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. That's what you need to know. Your ability to sin is not greater than God's capacity to forgive. That's what you need to know. And he doesn't just forgive, but he loves to forgive. That's his nature. That he, that's what he wants you to know. And, and he says, that's the part of my glory you need to know. You need to be stunned that I forgive. Number two, I'm abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's not fickle. His love is not shifting sand. It's set. His affection is set on those who love Him and those who He loves. It's set. It doesn't shift. Now this is hard for us because many of you guys had a parent whose love was fickle. Some of you had a spouse or an ex-spouse whose love was fickle. Some of you have co-workers whose love is fickle. Some of you, in your relationship with a person that you're sitting to your right or your left, right now your love is fickle and it's like shifting sand. And he says, here's how glorious I am. I'm not like that at all. My love is fixed. It's steadfast. That's who I am. I am a loving, steadfast, faithful God. Not flippant. And not only that, but it's aboundingly loving. And aboundingly 
faithful. So for those of you who have a warped concept of love because of the warped person in your life that did not display that to you, that's not God. And God's different than that. I'm aboundingly steadfast and loving. And not only that, but I'm, I'm slow to anger. God says, this is the part of my glory that you need to see, that I'm slow to anger. I'm not hot-headed. I'm not a ticking time bomb. Nudge the person in this room that's the ticking time bomb. Go ahead and tell them God's not like you. Just tell them. Right? My kids would come push me right now. God's not like you, Dad. He's not. This is the part of my glory you need to know. I'm not a ticking time bomb. You don't have to walk on eggshells around me. How many people in this room, your concept of God and your definition of God has been wrapped up in the fact that you have to walk on eggshells around Him? Anybody? Like you're like, that's who I think God is. He's so big that I have to tiptoe. And God goes, no! You don't know me if that's what you think. I'm slow to anger. You don't have to tiptoe around me because I already know your room is dirty. (laughs) And I know that the dishes are piled up in your sink. Even though you posted the picture on social media that hid that, I know that. He says, I know these things. I know you're late on that project. I know these things. But know this about my glory. That I'm slow to anger. And that's all summed up in where he began. You want to know the Lord? The Lord's your God? Here's who I am. I am merciful and I'm gracious. I'm merciful and gracious. I'm gracious. He gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us His riches at Christ's expense. He Gives you something. Know that part of my glory. That I give you restoration with me. I give you me. I'm gracious to you. We can walk together in the garden in the cool of the day. That's what you need to know about me. Remember Adam and Eve? They used to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you even wrap your brain around that? Right? Now the online chat thing... God feels distant to us. Adam and Eve used to walk hand in hand. I'm like, they, like they skipped. I, this is not skipping. This is some type of weird river dance. Right? <laughs> um, now I'm a knee pop. Um, but we have that concept, right? That this is, this is foreign. God goes, no, no, no. This is who I am. I'm a God who wants to be near and I restore to you in grace our relationship and we can walk together in the garden of the cool of the day. I give you something that you don't deserve, but I'm also merciful. I don't give you what you do deserve. I don't give it to you. And what this looks like is this. What we deserve is wrath. What we deserve is separation. What we deserve is that concept of that fatal Blow. I I deserve it. Boom! And God goes, in mercy, this is what you need to know of me, I do not give you that. Rather, I pick you up and I embrace you. I hug you. I'm not a God walking around with lightning bolts to smite. 
I'm a God walking around with embraces to freely give out. So if your concept of God is this ogre of wrath in heaven, hear what he says. He says, no, what you need to know of my glory is I'm not the God who walks around like Hulk Hogan trying to smite people. I'm the guy with the sign that says, free hugs available. That's what you need to know of my glory. What a God. Did you catch it all? Moses wants to see God's glory. And God could have put on a power flex like he had never shown before. Remember, his glory is all this radiating out. Boom. So here's what God could have done. Moses walks up and says, hey God, just let me see your glory. Here's what God could have done. He could have said, okay, well, here's how I took absolutely nothing and spun my finger and flipped galaxies into existence. I could have done that. And he could have to display his glory. He could have shown himself that big. This is what you need to know. Pow! Expanse. Or, he could have said, Okay, Moses, I'm going to show you my glory. Here is how I'm eternally present at all time for all people in all history. At the same time. Knowing beginning from end and present simultaneously. I know it all. Here's how I do that. And Moses would have bowed and went, whoa, that's... And God could have said, this is how glorious I am. Boom, boom, boom. Linear one. Voila. Understand. He could have shown his glory that way. He could have done this. He could have said, Moses, okay, you want to see my glory? The world is a bunch of atoms all pieced together in specific ways. You are a body of atoms, right? Makes you this person. The trees are a body of atoms. And Moses, here is how I hold every molecule in the world exactly where it's supposed to be so that there's not one rogue molecule that heads off in a way that I didn't want it to head off. I could have showed you that. He could have shown him all those things, but he don't do any of that. Here's what he says. Here is what you need to see of my glory. Never forget it, that I'm a God of mercy. That's what you need to know, church. That's what Moses needed to know. That's what we need to know. And that's what a lost world out there needs to know. That our God is a God slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving transgressions, and is merciful and gracious. That's the God we serve. If already you're like, man, I I like Exodus 34. Like Exodus 32, you walked out and go, I'm never coming back to this church. Forget that. (laughs) Like today, you're like, Exodus 34 every Sunday. Yes! Yes. It gets better. Let's keep going. So he says, listen, here's what you need to know. I'm the Lord of mercy. But then he gives him the reality of mercy. And he said, behold, in my mercy, I'm making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels. These are the people who just made a golden calf out of their earrings and nose rings and worshipped it. To these people, he says, Before you, I'll do marvels. 
such as has not been seen since the world was created or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it's an awesome thing that I will do with you. How merciful. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. I'm glad we're not Americanites. And take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars, break down their pillows, cut down their asherim. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you're invited, you eat of this sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourselves any gods of cast metal, You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat of unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. All that opened the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of your donkey, you shall redeem with the land. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruit of the wheat harvest, and of the feast of the ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year show all your males uh, appeal before the Lord God and the, uh, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times um, in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leaven. Or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until morning. The best of the first fruits of your grand you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these things I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And if that church sounds like a repeat... And you're like, we've already been there. It's because it is. And it's mercy. It's mercy. He didn't come in going, what have you done? He said, here's who I am. Here's the part of me that you need to know. You need to know that I am a merciful God. And in my mercy, I will re-covenant with you, even though you've already broken my covenant. Are there any people in this room who have broken covenant with the Lord? Here's who the Lord God is, a God who will re-covenant with covenant breakers. That's what you need to know, His glory. His glorious mercy sounds just like that. Now Israel, I gave you some instructions, you said you are going to do them all, and then you ran away and did the exact opposite. But here you are, here I am, let's pick up where we left off. Not... Before we go on, let's remember what you did back there. You're not going to do that again. Smack. Hey, let's pick back up where we left off. Here's who I am. Here's who you are. Let's walk together. And so he shows himself in this moment. And Moses is so wrapped up in the fact that God would recovenant with him that he just hangs out for 40 days and 40 nights. And he don't even eat bread or drink water. I think... Sometimes we get super spiritual about fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. 
Right? I think we're like, oh, well, the Lord didn't, you know, Moses was like, ah, I shouldn't eat, I shouldn't drink, I'm in the Lord's presence, and this is going to be my honor before him, blah, blah, blah. I think he's just blown away. He's blown away that the Lord in his mercy would meet with him, and he doesn't even care about food and water. He's just hanging out. I can't believe you would forgive me. Like, I cannot believe you're that merciful. So for 40 days and 40 nights, they just hang out. And then finally, the results of mercy. Here we go. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. You want to talk about a glow up? Did I get it right that time, Macy? Glow up? Glow down? Glow around? Glowing. Glown. Verse 30. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses. And behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near. But Moses called to them, and and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what um, he was commanded... The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Moses has just had an experience with God unlike any other man had ever had an experience with God. (laughs) And at this point in history, he knew God more than anyone else, particularly still, that he's merciful. What I am selling you or telling you or proclaiming to you is in that moment, God didn't show him something different. God showed him nothing more than just more of his mercy. That's what he showed him. Hang on to that thought because this is fun. What portion of God's glorious mercy was Moses allowed to see? Great question. Glad you asked. Glad you're here today for that. Here's what we know from this text in Exodus 34. What we know is the people recognized whatever it was as stunningly different and they would not come near. They saw that. We know that from this text. We also know that he explained what happened to them and then veiled himself. That they couldn't understand it. So he had to veil himself. So it's something mysterious, something he had to veil. The veil was a barrier, okay? And then number three, we know that he would cover before the people, but when he went before the Lord, what would he do? He would uncover. Before the people, cover, veil. Before the Lord, open something that they understood on the same train of thought. Right? We tracking? I'm just going to take a stab. And I'm going to suggest one option that I think is at least at minimum biblically plausible, if not just flat out biblically factual. Here's what I'm going to say happened. In this moment, God emphasized through this glorious mercy that the Ten Commandments or 613 Commandments, to be accurate, are inadequate. 
I think God revealed that to Moses as he's giving him the commandments. Number two. In this moment, he has to come face to face with a greater glory than anything he has ever seen in his life. Because the brother begins to shine. So number three, what I'm suggesting is, in this moment, Moses is able to meet with a pre-incarnate Jesus who is the fullness of God's glory and mercy before Jesus busts on the scene and while the Ten Commandments are still being given. Moses, God, reveal your glory to me. God, all right, here's what you need to know. You need to know that I am merciful and come near, boy. Get in the rock. And the greatest example of my mercy is my substitutional son. And I would argue that in and of itself is what makes Moses begin to glow. Some of you are still like, I don't know. I don't know about that. Fact check me. As a matter of fact, I'll fact check me right now for you. All right? Here's what we know, not just from Exodus 34, but from Hebrews 1.3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and is the exact imprint of His nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of His power. Amen. John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen... Come on! You're better than that, and we have seen... His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Here's what we read from the text in 2 Corinthians 3, 15-18. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses or the law is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We should sing that. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Gets better. Matthew chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Moses said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, Stop! Stop with your silliness. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. You want to know my glory? Shut up about these stupid tents. Look at him. 
one who's making everybody glow. Look at that one. Revelation chapter 21 then goes on to say this. In eternity, I saw a new temple in the city for its temple of the Lord, the God Almighty, and of the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is who? The Lamb. There's nothing more glorious than the sun. Remember where we started this whole thing? You feel like maybe your relationship with God is distant, like, ah, I don't know. My question to you is not what does this feel like, but where do you stand in relationship to the Son? Because if you have the Son, you know the fullness of the glory of God. And not only do you know it, but it dwells in you. And I think this is exactly what Moses got to see. None is more glorious than the one we gather to worship today. The living, breathing, glorious one, Jesus Christ. The eminence of grace and mercy with which we get to see God's glory. If you want to know what God's glory is all about, look no further than the mercy of Jesus. But God, I want to see you hang the stars. And God goes, why would you want to look at me hang elements when you can see the work of my son? But God, I want to know how you stop the ocean in its track. Like, why does it stay where it's at? And God goes, why do you want to see that when you can see the glory of my son? But God, I want to know that day where the sun stood still. How did that happen? Why did... (laughs) Why do you want to know how I stopped the earth from rotating? When you can look at my son. Are you mesmerized with the son is the question. Because if you are, then you're beholding the glory of God. That's why we gather as a church. Not to be a pep squad, to give you life hacks, to have better finances, wealth, and happiness. But to just boast in Jesus, the glory of the living God. Wow. And as much as Moses experienced this face-to-face moment, he would trade everything that he experienced to have what we have. Because, yeah, Moses got to see face-to-face, but Moses has no concept of Christ dwelling within a person, which you and I get to experience every single day, moment by moment, if we don't take that glory for granted. So perhaps, when we feel distant, it's not because God's distant. Perhaps it's because we don't appreciate and worship the glory that has been given to us through the work of the Son. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. As the band comes back up, 2 Peter 1, 4 caps it all off and says that we are becoming partakers of the divine nature. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Just honest, right? But I think we understand it more and more when we embrace that our God is a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. 
to those who trust in Him. So to close, wrap it all up, Troy. God is not distant like a 1980s online chat room. He's not. It's not stale. It's not just rote words. It's not pseudonyms. But God is high and He is majestic and He is otherly and He is gracious. He is all those things. He is glorious in all those words. Like, whoo, He's all them things. Whoo. And we get to know that by swimming in His mercy. So not only is He high and other and distant by our perception... He's also very near through mercy. So near that if you're a believer, not only does He call you a friend, but He calls you family. And He grafts you into His family tree. That's mercy. But you want to know where the mercy keeps going? That for those of us trusting in Him, not only has He grafted us in the family tree, but He's gone to prepare a place. Not mansions, plural. You'll never find mansions, plural, in the Bible. So all those songs that say He's preparing mansions in glory, that's that's not true. It's not in the Bible. It says He's going to prepare one mansion, one place, where we will all come to reside with Him as family together in His home forever. Happy thanks, Miss Church. Behold the mercy and grace of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I don't know how to tap out then maybe just to repeat one of the last songs we just sang, that we would be enamored with the goodness of God.